Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another one of our special midweek conversations with somebody we find very, very interesting. We're very fortunate to have today uh, Nick Kristoff, who is, a, of course, columnist for the New York Times, two-time Pulitzer Prize winner. Uh, uh, if I were a columnist, I wish I could write like Nick. And what makes that statement all the more disturbing is that I actually am, and I wish I could write like Nick. Uh, very, very good of you to join us today, Nick. Delighted to be with you. Uh, greetings from the family farm in Yamhill, Oregon. Well, you've been writing a lot about Oregon. Maybe we can start there. By the way, I do want to say we we have a few people, a few of our members who join us for each one of these things, and they're able to ask questions. If you're interested in posing a question, as somebody already has, you go to the Q&A uh, uh, um, uh, icon down at the bottom of the Zoom screen, and, and you can click and pose the question. And I'll get to them in a little bit, uh, but pose them as early as you can. That way, I'll, I'll definitely be assured of of getting it in there. Anyway, uh, let's just pick up with Oregon because your last column uh, uh, was, or most recent column was on Portland, where you're from. And before that, you had, had done a piece on uh, sort of uh, uh, another another dimension of life in 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 Oregon. Why 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 are you zeroing in on this besides uh, homesickness or? As you know, David, I was spending a lot of time covering humanitarian crises around the world and periodically coming back here to this little this little town of Yamhill, population 1000 on a good day. And I just saw a humanitarian crisis unfolding here. And it was, um, you know, most striking. Uh, more than a quarter of the kids on my old school bus have died from uh, drugs, alcohol and suicide, or what are called deaths of despair. And uh this is just emblematic of what has happened in a lot of working class communities around the country, uh, white, black, and brown. It's been aggravated by the pandemic. Uh, we had new estimates uh, published yesterday that 90,000 Americans, a record, died of overdoses in the 12 months through September. And that's what I you know, see here. And um, you know, I, as you know, I mean, I've spent a lot of time covering international issues. I spent a lot of time in Afghanistan and Iraq, but every two weeks we lose more Americans from drugs, alcohol, and suicide than we lost in you know, 19 years of war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I don't think that this kind of despair uh, around the U.S. has been covered adequately in ways that will generate some uh, solutions would be a little strong, but policies that mitigate the problems. Well, actually, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, and it's an incredibly rich topic, I think. Um, I, and by the way, your writing about it has been extremely moving to me, uh, writing about classmates and, and so forth who've been victims of it. 
but but it 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 sort of is a a point of intersection of you know you could draw a Venn diagram of big stories in the United States right now, um, uh, because it's a it's it's a story about COVID, story about the damage that's been done to us by this pandemic. It's a story about public health, the fact that we neglect uh, mental health care, particularly in the United States. It's Absolutely. a story about policing. Because since we neglect public health, it falls to the police to deal with the victims of this crisis. Um, and, and of course, there's a human story at the, at, the, at the intersection of all three of those. Do you see it in those contexts? Yeah, and I would also add that we neglect children, that, you know, there are all kinds of interventions that we have as a country. Uh, you know, we provide health, universal health care for senior citizens. Uh, which is expensive, but not for children, which is cheap. And that's because senior citizens vote and kids don't. And I think that one reason why a lot of our interventions against poverty, against dysfunction have not worked better is that we start too late. And as I mean, there's this growing evidence that the first five years and probably especially the first, uh, you know, the first three years are particularly critical uh, for brain development, for long-term development. And that's a period when we just miss. And I, I just see that around here with old friends and uh, they are going through great difficulties um, and it's probably too late to help some of them, but their young kids are, um, you know, this is the moment to help them and we're not, we're not helping them. You know, it, it, it's interesting to me and to the degree to which it, it relates also to this COVID story, because for a long time I felt you know, we, you, you lose officially 550,000 people. Um, uh, unofficially, the estimates are at least 20% more than that. So, so that puts you at a, at, a, at a death toll in a year that's greater than the death toll that we saw in the Great Flu of 1918. Um, and of course, everybody knows the numbers about, about comparing it to foreign wars uh, or, or the Civil War. And so you know, there's a huge trauma here. It's not just mask, no mask, vaccination, no vaccination. It's not just, can you get a job back? It seems to me that there's going to be a lingering consequence of this for people for a long time to come, not just the victims of drug overdoses, but depression, insecurity, anxiety. And and that doesn't seem to be addressed by our political class, even you know, I think the very engaged and productive Biden administration has just simply not come to that. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. And again, I would emphasize children that there's a lot of worse, uh, a lot of work on how childhood trauma uh, creates long-term risks physiologically and psychologically. Um, and when we have, so already even before the pandemic, one in seven American kids was living with a parent with substance abuse disorder. And that has clearly increased. And, you know, I've, um, I've got a friend who had been uh, clean for two years. And then uh, last April, he overdosed, and almost died. He's got two young kids who are now being raised by other people in very chaotic situations. The baby uh, had meth in uh, her system, probably by crawling around the floor and, you know, encountering some. And uh, that, you know, it's not clear. There, there are going to be long-term consequences 
for these kids. We also know that uh, child abuse reports went down very substantially during the pandemic, even as we believe child abuse increased uh, because of stress, et cetera. Uh, but that, what that signifies is that there are fewer mandatory reporters like teachers and nurses who were seeing kids and able to get those kids help. Uh, so I completely agree that you know, only when kids really return to school around the country and begin to interact again with uh, trusted adults, are we going to have some sense of the damage that has been done in this period? Yeah, I'd like to, I think, start to move on to some of the questions from the audience. I'll weave some of my own in as we go. I, I see that we've got a bunch of them here. Um, and I'll just read them as they as they as they appear. Uh, and and they're in a no particular order subject wise. So we're going to bounce around a bit. Sure. First one here, China, Russia and Afghanistan. All these three issues are boiling up at the moment. Uh, do you expect uh, Kim Jong-un to use this point to pressure the Biden administration? Uh, do you, and, and just let me add to that. Do you think Xi Jinping and, and Vladimir Putin are, are testing him as well, uh, both in terms of Xi Jinping around Taiwan and, and Putin in terms of uh, uh, Ukraine? Yeah, yes to all of that. Uh, so I think Kim Jong-un will, uh, you know, the, the way he gets leverage, the way Kim Jong-un matters is to uh, test things. And one bit of leverage he, he, he kind of needs is to prove that he has the capacity to have a reentry vehicle for a nuclear warhead. Um, it will clearly upset the apple cart if he does uh, such a test, but he would gain so much by uh, by testing it that I think he may at some point, and certainly, you know, whether it's long-term, uh, long-range missile tests or perhaps a nuclear tests, I think that he is going to go in that direction and in hopes of being bribed to to uh, to freeze his nuclear program. Um, I think that on Russia, we're already seeing that with Ukraine, uh, the buildup there. I, I sure hope that Putin isn't contemplating actually uh, moving into moving forces into Ukraine, but uh, just the presence of forces there is a test. And, you know, Xi Jinping, we're seeing that all over. And just the degree of nationalism in in China, the way people talk about the U.S. as a declining power, uh, the cockiness of Xi Jinping makes me worry about the capacity for miscalculation. This episode is available in its entirety to our members. To become a member, please visit thedsrnetwork.com and click membership levels. Members receive access to exclusive content, the ability to attend our weekly live virtual events for free, access to our Slack community, and for a limited time, receive a signed copy of Rosa Brooks' book, Tangled Up in Blue. Thank you for listening.